Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this podcast episode, I talk with Nick Nauper and Nat Eliason, who are building Crypto Raiders, which I believe is one of the best Web3 games out there. Both Nick and Nat haven't been in crypto for that long, but as these kind of long-term entrepreneurs, they've channeled their skills in creating product to take on blockchain gaming. In this episode, we talk about how Crypto Raiders got started, how they've grown the player base, how they're managing their cryptocurrency treasury, and how the guys see things developing for Web3 gaming in the near future. The dilemma at the heart of mobile gaming. Monetizing your great work while keeping gamers engaged and not distracted by intrusive ads. Well, our partners on this podcast have a very clever solution. AudioMob delivers in-game audio ads so that game developers can monetize their players without interrupting gameplay. Audio ads are better at retaining happy gamers than video ads and can actually work alongside video ads too. This is all the while having much higher CPMs than banner ads, up to 600% higher. AudioMob's Unity plugin is simple to set up. It can take just minutes, allowing complete privacy control, and you can even reward players for extra gratification. Simple, clever, and rewarding. Go to audiomob.com for details and to speak to the team. All right, we're live. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nat. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Sure thing. Hey, let's kick things off. There's a lot of interesting stuff. You guys have been building an amazing Web3 gaming story in the, I would say, like last few months. Like it's it's such a fresh, cool thing that has been happening with Crypto Raiders. But in your own words, can you share your origin story, how you made your way into working on Crypto Raiders? Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'll go first and then let uh, Nat share his story. I've been aware of crypto and Bitcoin for a very long time. I was one of those people that heard about Bitcoin in like 2011 uh, on some internet marketing forum and thought it was the stupidest thing of all time. In reality, I was the stupidest person of all time. But then again, I probably wouldn't have held it for 12 years anyway. So, you know, no point worrying about that. But like a lot of other people out there in 2020, I really jumped into crypto, right? With the amount of money printing that was happening, I think that the narrative behind it just increasingly made more sense for me. But for most of 2020, I was just really buying Bitcoin and Ethereum, nothing nothing crazy. I actually set up my MetaMask, my first MetaMask wallet on, on Christmas Eve in December of 2020. And then in the following year, in January, someone introduced me to NFTs on Nifty Gateway, which was mostly art NFTs and artists and stuff like that. I didn't go the top shot route like some other people did, but I, I traded art for a few months there. And then I switched over to OpenSea first to buy some sandbox land. I thought it was a really cool idea. And then shortly thereafter, all of these profile pick projects started coming out, you know, Guttercat Gang and uh, Board Ape Yacht Club and all of these 
projects that are that are massive now. And and while I was doing this trading, I was also like consulting on some projects and and saw that, you know, one of those things where when you actually see behind the scenes on a project, you realize like, hey, I can I can do this too. And so I I started calling my my co-founder like every month pitching, you know, different, you know, NFT game projects that we could work on together. And we went back and forth for a couple of months and then David eventually showed me this this prototype for a game that he had made way back in the day. And it was sort of similar to Crypto Raiders. It was called Tiny Raiders. And we really liked the concept. And we're all huge video gamers ourselves. Spent a lot of, I have years clocked in World of Warcraft, played a lot of RuneScape and played everything under the sun. So we kind of came to the conclusion that like this was a great opportunity because the landscape is way different right now. But at the time when we started the project, it was really Axie Infinity, like Zed Run, right? Were the two like hot projects out there. And then of course there was like Alluvium, but you know, that was still like being built. But when we entered the landscape, there really was no RPG game whatsoever. I mean, it was really like people were talking about Axie Infinity. People were talking about Zed Run. So we saw this real opportunity to, 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 to build Crypto Raiders and, and we, we bootstrapped it at a, at a small level. And then very soon within the project, not, not just joined the project organically because he liked it, but I think within a month, after the project had started, I started talking with Nat about him him joining the project and, and helping us out with you know our tokenomics and all the other great things that that he built. So I'll, I'll kick it over to him. I kind of came in a little tangentially, like Nick said. So I uh, got into crypto more actively at the end of 2020, start of 2021, and I was originally really interested in it from the like personal finance DeFi side of things. And so I was spending a lot of time just trying to understand how like DeFi worked, figure out like how all these protocols operated. I was learning Solidity and like Web3 programming at the same time because I figured I might want to try to build something in the space. And so I was developing some degree of competence around that. And I also came from a pretty heavy gaming background, you know, months of time sunk into like World of Warcraft, RuneScape, Dota 2, StarCraft 2. And I had you know, always seen the potential for crypto to kind of like, I, I think I've been framing it like it, it solves the, or it, it closes the loop with microtransactions where games moved in this direction of introducing microtransactions in order to play instead of doing one microtransaction at the start. And the problem with microtransactions is that it's purely extractive and it's not peer to peer. So it's a great way for the company to make money, but it kind of hurts the gameplay and it, it makes the game less enjoyable. I think on some level, we appreciate the degree of depth and complexity that comes from a game like Red Dead 2 or Skyrim or Fallout 3 or any of these like epic RPGs. And you can't really like do that in a microtransaction game. And instead we have like, you know, Clash of Clans and Archero and some of these other like quicker games. So they're, they're fun games too. But when you're constantly doing microtransactions, it's sort of like purely extractive. And what I saw is kind of the cool thing with uh, play to earn or play and earn in Crypto Rails was you know, we could keep this microtransaction nature, but make it more peer to peer, where people are actually owning the assets and getting to get some ROI on the time and energy that they're putting into the game. And it seems pretty obvious that was going to be a huge deal just because people have been trying to do it in games for so long. You used to be able to buy gold from like Chinese gold farmers in World of Warcraft, but you get banned if they found out. There was like a secondary market for Dota 2 items and for Counter-Strike Go skins and all this stuff. And it really seemed like crypto was going to enable that to flourish in a really interesting way. So I was pretty interested in that. And then I stumbled on 
crypto raiders one way or another. I think because I followed Nick on Twitter and kind of hopped in and started talking to them and had some ideas for how the token structure could work, had an idea for how it could like fit into DeFi as a whole. And they were eventually just like, well, do you want to just build it? <laughs> so I said, okay, sure. And, you know, was able to get the tokens launched and do all the initial like DeFi staking stuff and then have continued to help out in that capacity since then. Nice. The next question, which is quite important is for the listeners here, like, can you introduce Crypto Raiders? What kind of game is it? Crypto Raiders is, is like a mix between a, a dungeon crawler and like a, tradi a traditional MMO RPG. And, you know, parts of that, you know, already exist. And then, of course, if we were to fast forward a year or two from today, I think it would be, be even more obvious. But just to break it down in a very simple term, it's like many other RPG games that you play. You have a character, you spend time raiding dungeons to level them up and then also to get better gear. And that allows you to, you know, do increasingly harder dungeons, keep leveling up your character. And over time, as you're leveling, you're also shaping the build of your character. So like, are you trying to build a strength tanky character? Are you trying to build an agility roguelike character? Are you trying to build an intelligence character? And in the next month or so, they'll, we'll be introducing classes and class abilities. And then people will be able to be warriors or paladins or wizards or rogues. So, so you're leveling up through this process. When you get to the end game, you can start to participate in PVP tournaments. And we're also improving our PVP side to have matchmaking. And then eventually the end game for PVE will be like raid bosses, right? Where you're, you or a group of people are trying to take down uh, big bosses. So some of that stuff is being built over time. But then we also have this really cool, you know, active economy that really synergizes well with crypto. Um, and we're building it off of, of you know, like a, sort of like a RuneScape kind of economic model. And Nat actually pulled some of RuneScape's like data to help us model our, our economy side. So not only can you do the traditional dungeon crawling that you can do in RPG games, but you also can take your raiders and you can go send them on quests. And quests allow you to obtain different materials. So right now you can go on quests, you can get Grimweed or Eye of the Newt. And we recently just introduced Spore Bark and you can use these materials, you can craft them into potions and then you can actually bridge the potions into the game and use them in the game. And we've already seen like really interesting and exciting things. Like for example, some people are trying to level up their character faster by they run their dungeons that they get every week. You get a certain amount of dungeons to run every week. Then they send their raider on a quest and they get enough materials so that they can craft basic health potions. They bridge them back into the game and they're using those basic health potions to beat dungeons that they otherwise couldn't, right? So like maybe they maybe this this dungeon's a, a tier or two above them and they would, you know, they they do a lot of damage to the enemy, but they just barely die. Now they're using the the economy farming side to like help further progress their their in-game performance, which I think is really cool. And we just recently introduced damage potions. So now instead of bringing in a health potion, you can bring in a damage potion and try to beat uh, an opponent in PVE or PVP by using that. Yeah, like I, I actually wanted to ask you about like all the the inspirations that you've taken from other projects in the DeFi space, but also about the games you mentioned, RuneScape. Can you guys elaborate on like what the sources of inspiration have been on on both of those spaces? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people on the team we've we we actually we have some people that still play RuneScape to this day on on, on our team. I know Nat played World of Warcraft. I played World of Warcraft. Dave and played World of Warcraft. Dave 
plays a lot of Path of Exile. A lot of people on the team played a lot of Diablo 2 back in the day, which is great because there's there's just amazing RPG games that have already existed out there for a while that have so many great ideas that we're really not like having to invent a ton of new mechanics, right? We're really, we're taking cool mechanics from other games and then incorporating it into our game and trying to add our own flavor um, to it. A great example is one of the dungeons we have right now is called Endless Dungeon. And you basically fight a series of mobs going deeper in this dungeon until you eventually can't beat the mobs anymore and you die. But the further that you progress in the dungeon, the better the gear drop that you get will be. And we actually modeled this similar to Slay the Spire. Um, our initial version is way simpler, but like our end goal is to have it be, you know, pretty similar to Slay the Spire, where you're kind of progressing through this dungeon where you're eventually going to die, but you're just seeing how far you can go and you can get abilities from a, you know, a merchant or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's really a mixture of a lot of the games that we, that we love to play and in, in incorporating them, in, you know, into our, into our game and, and trying to add some of our own flavor to it. Like Nat, you you write the really good newsletter on crypto stuff, and uh, you've been going into the to the gaming side with that newsletter. Can you talk about the projects that you've been inspired from now that you're working on Crypto Raiders? I think actually what makes some a lot of this really fun and interesting is that nobody's really figured this out yet. Nobody's figured out how to open up a game economy to the external broader economy and have it remain sustainable and grow long-term. We are starting to get data on that, but there's no game that you can point to and say, oh, they nailed this model and we're going to copy and paste that model onto our game and run with it. Obviously, Axie is the big one that's garnered a lot of public attention, but they did have a pretty brutal economic collapse in the game, right? Where the amount that you could earn from playing it has gone down 90%. The value of the NFTs has gone down some 90%. The token's still valuable. And you know, I, I believe in their long-term ability to figure stuff out, right? Like they're a super competent team. But they're it's not like they nailed it out of the gate and we could just like copy and paste that onto ours, right? And so it's it's this kind of interesting thing where you have to look at all of the games in the space and you have to say, okay, what is this game doing well? Where do I think this game might break down? And what do we want to bring in to our own experiments? You know, one thing with Axie was the the heavy focus on breeding, right? All the ROI came from breeding. And the only reason it was worth playing the game, you know, and the original Axie was like fun. It's not as fun as like a big AAA game, but it was fun. And it, you would earn SLP, but then you're selling SLP to people who want to breed Axies and you know, the only reason you breed axes is to sell people to want to buy axes and like it, you know, eventually spiraled out of control and, and kind of collapsed because of the oversupply issue. And so you can look at that and you can say, okay, you know, a couple things stand out. One, you probably don't want the primary value unit to be the entry into the game itself, right? Somebody in our community made this good analogy where they said that some people are buying like level one RuneScape accounts and thinking they can just sit on that level one RuneScape account and it'll be more valuable in three months. Like that's stupid. <laughs> like if you're if you're not going to put any work into your account, it shouldn't be worth anything later. You know, it should maybe be worth less. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's one interesting idea you can take from it. Another is that like all of the currency sinks cannot be ROI positive because 
if spending currency is always going to increase your ability to earn currency or is always going to have a positive ROI on it, then it's inherently kind of Ponzi-nomic and has to collapse eventually. So, you know, one thing we've talked about a lot that we haven't seen really anything from in terms of playing our games yet is cosmetics. And cosmetics are the bulk of microtransaction gaming revenue for like big games, you know, Fortnite, Counter-Strike, um, Dota 2, like a lot of these, uh, you know, you're, you're buying stuff that has no in-game utility. It's purely flexing and it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And the nice thing about cosmetics is that they don't increase your earning potential. So if you can build sufficient network effects in a game where cosmetics are valuable, that's pretty useful. And then cosmetics also have secondary market value in terms of the NFTs. And obviously there's some balance there because you don't want to set it up where just buying a cosmetic automatically increases the value of your item and you can go flip it on the market because that'll collapse eventually too. But there's kind of all these interesting questions and things you can learn from other games. And you know, like one direction we've taken with Crypto Raiders is the the individual playability of a character is low compared to some other games, right? So compared to Axie or one of these where you can log in and play for maybe like 20, 30 minutes every day, you can't do that with an individual raider right now, but there are benefits to having a roster of 10 or 20 raiders, for example, because you can send some on quests to collect materials, to create potions for your other characters, and then you bridge the potions into the game, and that lets you get further along so you can fight harder enemies, so you get more valuable loot, which you can sell for Aurum. To, there's like a little more nuance there, and there's kind of this question of like, okay, what is a reasonable balance between fun and ROI, and how is that going to affect the long-term growth and health of the game, right? Like step in is really popular right now and like it's super hot. And I mean, my, my DMS are just like nonstop people asking for activation codes because they want to get in and they want to play and step in's done a really incredible job of improving on the Axie model by having tons of in-game syncs for their currency besides just creating more sneakers, but they still have this problem where it's a guaranteed about 10% ROI right now. If you make a new sneaker and sell it on the market. And like, that just can't keep going on forever. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's, I, I think like more than being inspired by individual games for nailing it, it's like what, what has worked, right? Like building a Ponzi-nomic flywheel clearly works really well for marketing your game and for getting early traction. But is that worth the price of having a catastrophic, you know, economic meltdown later? Right. Maybe it, like, to be fair, it's, it kind of works for Axie, right? Like it's a $13 yeah. billion dollar token. And so, you know, maybe it they is have 13 okay. billion and they have a war chest that can, you know, arguably solve pretty much any problem. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, maybe you do like burn fast and hot to build up that war chest at initial player base. And then you build a sustainable game after, right? Like, I think there's an argument mm -hmm. to be made for that. And uh, potentially actually could be in a different situation right now. If like you, you spoke on cosmetics, if they had gotten cosmetics in the game six months or a year yep. ago, right. Where you could like you know, change the color of your axes or put a crown on the head of your axie, right? Or if you could buy a custom battle background, like where the axes battle, if, you know, you could buy a custom background that whenever you fought, like you have the cool background. I know they do that cosmetic in a, in a lot of games out there. So yeah, I definitely think that there's, there's an argument that if you can, you know, grow fast and hot, but you can get enough valuable sinks into place, you know, before you reach that like inflection point, you know, it, 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 it could be the best, like, you know, growth and marketing model out there. Do you guys lose any sleep because 
there isn't a, a solution out there yet for for these kind of games like how you avoid the ponzi nomics I, i think that's part of it's definitely part of the stress but it's also a part of the excitement of working in this space is that there are real challenging problems to solve and, and things that haven't been proven as nat said if there was just a model that was proven right that just worked we would have gone with it ourselves and, yeah. and and just straight copied it but there, there's so much learning to be had in the space someone wrote like an interesting thing on on twitter about our game and said basically there's you know multiple different ways that in in nats mentioned this as well there's multiple different ways to earn and theoretically if you do them all perfectly like your earning in in crypto readers could be quite strong right now but it's not this linear path to earning meaning like in axie infinity you get your roster you do pvp that's how you get your lp that's the one mechanic to do it in crypto readers right now you can earn some orum by selling items to laz but you also can earn some orum by doing the farming side but it's not all bucketed into this one linear path and so by making the it a little bit more complex like how you can earn in a game i think that partially makes it more sustainable but at the end of the day the key thing to make a game sustainable without having high aprs or rewards or whatever you want to call it is the game has to be really fun to play and people have to have a desire to be you know potentially net spenders and and not really care about that right like that's the i think the true end goal for crypto gaming is maybe like three or four years from now maybe the best players in a game you know they can earn you know 100% on their investment or 200% or 300% but then maybe the average player makes 20% and then maybe some of those average players are actually net spenders in the economy but they're just having so much more fun that they don't really care cuz and Nat said this on another inter- interview is that you know like a a couple of years from now like a, a blockchain game that everyone loves it could actually be like slightly lossy for some players where they're like they bought a character for 50 bucks and they can sell it a year from now for 40 bucks but when you compare that to traditional gaming if they bought a game for 50 bucks it immediately goes to zero right so if people are really having fun there once again there's all sorts of different possibilities in 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 different you know scenarios that can work out but we're we're definitely taking more of like a slower burn approach like we didn't have any orm rewards in our game for like the first six months we just really wanted to you know kind of figure out the model that worked the best for us and and figure out how to like you know you know ramp these ramp these things up right yeah i wanted to ask about the the growth the kind of scaling that you've been putting into growing the the player base everything goes into like talking about the community of the game like how did you kick it off did you intentionally hit the brakes on not growing it too fast like what has been the approach for you guys Yeah, like I don't think we've been intentionally hitting the brakes, but we have just let the game, you know, grow organically. You know, like in in the end of February we had like 4200 players, now we have like 5600 players, so we've grown the base by, you know, 20-25%. And that's unique wallets. There's more people that are, you know, playing just logging in through the website. But yeah, it's been it's been a lot of slow organic growth, but we're getting the game close to the state where we're going to want to start turning on some marketing engines and we've already allocated a pretty healthy monthly budget to start doing that so i think we're pretty close to wanting to kind of turn on the ignition and and get a lot of net new growth into the game yeah i i, I wanted to ask about the marketing side because like 
I've, I've dealt with free-to-play gaming where it's yep. all about the performance marketing. You're running like ROI positive campaigns, stuff like yep. that. How, how do you see that world coming into Web3? Well, uh, we've actually done some basic tests on paid advertising. Actually, interestingly enough, when we started some of our tests back in December, Facebook did allow you to target people if they liked the blockchain or if they liked crypto. Facebook has since removed that targeting. So it's it's becoming you know even harder to target those people through like traditional uh, paid advertising. We're looking at at some models like you know YouTube streaming or Twitch streaming sponsorships where we'll pay streamers to play our game for X amount of hours of week. Uh, I think that is a is a strong model. I also think that there's some other growth hacking tactics that we can do. TikTok is actually pretty crypto friendly as well, but yeah, I think it I think it's going to be something else other than I have a I have like a traditional e commerce, paid advertising, Facebook, Instagram background. I don't think that that model is probably the best fit, at least not for us right now. But also, I, I think that you know part of the challenge that we're trying to figure out right now is that you really have two audiences when you're building a crypto game. Um, and it's, it's, it's really like the initial blockchain players that you can get, right? And, th- and that market has a lot of capital, but is relatively much smaller than the traditional gaming market which has a lot of players with less like average you know expenditure per, per player and i think that's one of the real challenges that crypto games are trying to figure out now is how to like support both of those camps and i think a lot of games are are trying are are appearing to take a model where they're going to have like their crypto gamers and then they're going to have some sort of like free to play model for traditional gamers and then somehow tie those economies and tie those players together. So we see Axie doing that, right? With Axie Origin, you know, they said very clearly that's going to be like, you know, a free-to-play game in some way, shape, or form. There's there's plenty of other games out there that have hinted at, you know, taking similar approaches. You know, Galaxy Fight Club, they're pushing really hard to get their game on mobile, um, and you know, potentially they'll have a free-to-play version on, on mobile as well. But like, you know, when we look on a multi-year horizon, I think that for blockchain games to really win, they have to attract a lot of traditional gamers as well. And so figuring that out is one of those other question marks in the space where no one's exactly figured out like the model to do it. But I think it'll probably be something where like you have a lot of free-to-play players and most of them are net spenders. Maybe some of them are net gainers. And then you have a, a crypto backbone of players that, you know, they've, they've bought these assets so they actually have you know the ability to be like net earners in in the economy just to give you a quick example of something that we could do is we've we've built this on-chain farming system and then like nat and i have been talking about well we could actually make an item merchant in the game where you could buy all of the materials on chain but like you're just buying them in the game so that you wouldn't have to worry about doing all these MetaMask interactions to get a basic health potion, you just be able to buy it from a potion merchant in the game, right? And when you think about that, you could potentially have free-to-play players that are coming in and playing, but then to progress in the game, they need to buy a a couple basic basic health potions. And they're pseudo buying those basic health potions from the crypto players because the crypto players are the only ones that can access and make those kinds of things. So when you kind of like look at that model, you could see a way where like the crypto gamers are like the creators of things, items that the free-to-players need to get. And that is how you can kind of cleanly make this like free-to-play 
uh, loop that works for everyone. Uh, that's actually a follow-up question here for like the style that you guys push out updates to the game. Are you are you like going out with MVPs or do you spend a lot of time like polishing whatever you put out? Like, what's the the status right now? We're we're very much MVP versus like overly polishing and having like a hyped up launch. I think eventually we'll switch to a model that is more like putting on more polish and taking longer on things. Like for example, with like endless dungeons, the the priority was to get just that that mode out, right? And like we already want to do way more things to make it more interesting. But yeah, we've been very much of like a okay, let's get things out, let's see how they're doing, let's let the existing player base like test them and play around with them, and then that'll help us like expand from there. So yeah, we're very much like MVP ship fast right now. This is like a, a topic that I was talking to Ethan Levy about who couldn't make it. He, we were supposed to do this together today, but he couldn't make it. Like the treasury management learnings that you guys have had so far, what could you sort of like give out to? To developers who are thinking about launching a crypto game regarding like running a treasury yeah I'll, I'll let i'll let nat take that one but nat's done like an incredible job with using the treasury assets to get additional revenue into the game yeah i think it's kind of cool that we're you know we're in crypto land as well as gaming land and there's just a lot more interesting stuff you can do with funds in crypto land i mean even really simple things right like owning more of the liquidity for your tokens is a pretty massive additional source of revenue right because if you look at some of these gaming tokens they might do a million dollars in volume on a given day and then if you own all of the liquidity for that then you're making what is that like 30 grand a day in revenue just off trading fees no, $3,500 a day in revenue off of trading fees, which is like not nothing, right? It's an extra million dollars a year in revenue. And so stuff like that, you know, really, really helpful to tap into if you're going to be building stuff on chain. I think there's a lot around you know, marketplace fees as well, yep. right? So building in-game marketplaces where you can charge like some fees and, you know, there's there's an argument to be made there too around use building your in-game marketplace, like not using your native currency. This is something we've gone back and forth on because... On the one hand, having your in-game currency in you know Aurum for us is great because it helps you know create uses for Aurum and we can burn the Aurum that's spent on trading fees. But it's hard for us to sell a lot of Aurum because we're like the largest holders of Aurum. When it gets too expensive, we can totally sell it into the market to help you know create some price stability. But if it's not getting too expensive, we can't really sell any, which means we don't have any revenue off of the Aurum. So you can also do an in-game marketplace that charges ETH or Matic or even USDC and take a fee off of that. And there's it would like be really cool revenue. if we could make it so that like the fee was in Aurum, but the pricing was in you know, Ethereum or something like that. But yeah, easier, easier using said the than fees, done. Using the fees to like buy back and burn your currency from the marketplace. Exactly. I'm yeah. generally against buy back and burn as a strategy yeah. for a governance token. I think it's yeah. kind of like, it's, it's kind of like lazy for a governance token, but for an in-game token, I think it's actually pretty smart yeah. because it helps create a degree of currency control on either end of the market. Like this is the hard thing with having an open economy for a game is you have these external forces that you never have to deal with when you're planning a normal game economy, right? Exactly. Like World of Warcraft can control how much gold is in circulation pretty yep. easily. But if some random whales want to come in and buy up $10 million of Aurum tomorrow, well, there's not that much liquidity, but if they want to buy a million dollars of Aurum tomorrow, they can jack up the expensiveness of the game for everybody else, Yep. Uh, which you got to like figure out how to handle. So there, there's just a lot of neat stuff you can do there. And then also just like treasury diversification. I think that a lot of teams 
are tempted to be like, you know, total maxis on their own token. And we're just going to like, you know, hold tons of that in the treasury. And that's what we're going to optimize around. And like, obviously you want to be the largest holder of your own token, but you also need to survive. And one of the hardest things with crypto gaming is building a good, building a good game is a like five to 10 year endeavor. In most cases, it's very slow. And people with crypto brain think in one to three month timelines. <laughs> if that, so, if more that, like one that. to three days, one to three. Yeah, months, exactly. I mean. Right. It's just like, coin don't go up in three days. It's- so you, you need to assume that at probably at least once in your lifetime as a company, the entire market will bottom out, go down 80%. All of your community members will abandon you and, you know, dump all of their tokens and you'll be like a valueless shitcoin for a period, right? Yep. Like you kind of have and, to. And, and many great projects have gone through that. Decentraland, yeah. in, completely in and out of flavor. A lot of people don't like. A lot of people look at Axie Infinity from like twenty twenty one and beyond. They don't realize like it started in twenty eighteen, and it was like I don't even think they had a token until maybe twenty twenty. But it was like a four year build to get it to the place where it was able to hit this, you know, massive amount of velocity. I, I just want to quickly circle back on on what Nat is, was saying, which is like an interesting thing that we're trying to do with our economy. A lot of NFT projects, their primary way to generate additional revenue is more NF- NFTs, right? You see it with almost any project out there, like Board Ape Yacht Club. How do they generate their revenue? Secondary commissions and then more NFTs. So they have Ape Land coming. They did a big mutant, uh, mutant Ape Yacht Club mint, which they made $80 million off of. We're trying to take an approach where all of the NFTs in our game are are either airdropped or like earned in the game. So how like us as a company makes money is that we get the economy to such a size that there's so much velocity in it that like the fees are able to fund everything that we want to do. And once again, this is not a proven model. It could end up not, we could end up getting you know outfunded by other people that are minting NFTs, right? And they're able to out execute us or we have the right model. And, and by like embedding all of the NFTs into the economy, you create a much bigger economy than you would otherwise, because a lot of that liquidity stays in the economy instead of you, you know, extracting that out. But we're, we're very well funded as a team. We have over $10 million right now. And the only way that we're making money is with secondary sale commissions. And right now it's not even at a level to support our, our expenses. So this year we're probably going to burn like $2 million dollars. Um, in expenses, but we're intentionally doing that. And we're fine with doing that because our goal, once again, is that if we can pour everything back into the game and we have a four-year runway to build something great here, we're eventually going to have the stars aligned, the economy will take off. And then the fees that we generate from that will will more than pay our expenses and, and hopefully some, some profit as well. Well, and even so, until then, yeah. I mean, I, you're forgetting how much liquidity we own exactly. <laughs> of the tokens already, right? So like- I'm not even the, counting that in the numbers. So we're probably not yeah, even exactly. burning. <laughs> we're not. That's the cool thing is, I mean, we, so, you know, one thing we did is we diversified some of the treasury into stable coins and we have like $3 million of stable coins farming at I think like five to 10%. So we've got another 300 grand in revenue from that. We yep. have a, a few million dollars of our own liquidity now, which is trading, which is earning like 10, 15% on fees. And so we're earning like another few hundred grand from that. Like there's just all these interesting ways to earn additional revenue in crypto yeah. that a normal gaming company like doesn't have access to, especially while the game is free. Right. Yep. And that's pretty, pretty neat, I think. Amazing. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you guys about the, the the company you're building. You raised a VC round recently. How, how would you describe 
the company, the thing that you're building around to run Crypto Raiders? Is it a traditional game studio or something different? Like, do you have aspirations there? Right now, the team is around 25 people, I think. We just brought in another game designer. And then we also have a Unity studio helping us with porting our game to Unity. I I don't know if I can call ourselves a traditional game studio because I don't know exactly what that is. (laughs) But I I definitely think that our our goal is to become a a, a game studio. When when we look at Crypto Raiders three or four years from now, we, we really see this like great intellectual property that we've built a brand around that people love. And there's all sorts of things that you can do in the economy uh, or sorry, in the game rather on top of what you can do right now. So right now we have like a traditional like MMO RPG like mixed with a dungeon crawler. Two years from now, we may have a, a MOBA or a card game or some new type of game that, that doesn't exist. We're also really, really bullish on it. One of the craziest things, craziest things about gaming that not many people realize is that almost every single groundbreaking new game type out of there started as a mod right? So Battle Royale is the by far the most popular first-person shooter. Not too many people know it actually started as an Arma 2 mod back in like 2015, 2016. And it, it, blowed up, it, it, it blew up and then people created like PUBG and DayZ, right? And now the big AAA companies all do Battle Royales, right? If you look at Dota, Dota started as a Warcraft 3 mod, right? If you look at all of the tower defense games on mobile, that started as a Warcraft 3 mod, right? But the problem is, is that with, with traditional gaming, mod creators have zero financial incentives, right? They're creating essentially free games for other people to play, and that's it for them. And then they watch these studios take their ideas and make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, right? But with the blockchain, there's this unique opportunity where you could create a modding community that can be financially rewarded for the work that they do and the amount of people that play their game, right? Because there's tokens backing up these economies and you can create models where if someone creates an awesome Crypto Raiders mod, right? That gets more players than our existing game. I would like to think that we would be able to create a revenue generating model that would incentivize a mod community to really like build on top of it. So that's another thing we're exploring on on a multi-year horizon. But right now we're we're kind of in the in the not sexy phase, I think, of, of building a business, which is we, we have lots of capital, we have a good foundation, but now it's like really about like operational execution. If you think about like the model of Web3 gaming, if somebody's like in the audience now thinking about doing a studio focusing on Web3, what should they look into first off regarding team areas where they need to have the skills in place? Yep. What are your thoughts? I think it's a fantastic question because I've what I've said is that blockchain games, and this is not to offend any traditional game studios or anything like that because they're better than us at what they do. But it's the fact that to win at blockchain gaming, you not just have to build a fun game, you have to build an NFT model that works in your game. And then you also, if you do do tokens, have to build a token model that works in the game. So you're, you, have to, you have to win at three variables. Whereas most traditional game studios, it's it's build a great game. And I guess they have marketing, right? But we also have marketing and growth too, right? But it's not just build a great game for them. It's like, do you implement NFTs in a proper way that makes sense and is net good for the game? And do you, if you create tokens, do you create a token structure that makes sense and is great? For the game, right? You're probably going to see a lot of traditional studios that build an awesome game, but they get the NFTs or the token side completely wrong, and it and it kind of you know kills them off. That's why we brought Nat in 
to our game very early on because we understood the importance of doing the token model correctly and that if we got it wrong, it doesn't matter if we have a great game. You could you could completely you know go to zero. So if you're a traditional game studio, what I would highly recommend is that you want a tokenomics expert like Nat on your team, at the very least like consulting, right? And then you also need some sort of uh, someone that has a lot of familiarity with the NFT market because there's all sorts of unique factors that like traditional gamers may not like understand, like, you know, minting in a Genesis collection and then doing airdrops to that collection, right? There's like all sorts of nuances and strategies to the NFT side. But that would be my recommendation is, is first of all, like look at a, the game itself that you're trying to build and say like, is it compatible with the blockchain? And if you think so, then you need to bring in some experts that like have a strong understanding of crypto, DeFi, strong understanding of NFTs. As the last question before we go to my usual final questions, what do you think crypto raiders will look like in five years from now? Yeah, I, I think five years from now, you know, crypto raiders will look more like a, if we succeed, which I will die trying to do, we will look more like a blizzard or like a riot game style studio where we have one cohesive set of IP intellectual product, you know, property, the Raider verse, whatever you want to call it, our art style, et cetera. But there'll be, you know, multiple different gaming experiences that you can do within it, you know, whether it's a the traditional RPG model, whether it's a new type of, you know, MOBA or card game or, or something else out there. I, I also think that there's a real potential for a crypto game to create a new type of game. And that kind of velocity would would change everything, I think. If you look at most crypto games, even ours, essentially copying existing game models out there, right? There's there's no new innovation on the game model itself. Like Alluvium is building a um, team fight tactic style auto chess game, right? And it looks phenomenal from like an art direction. And I'm sure we'll have a little bit of twists here and there, but that's pretty much the game, right? Axie Infinity is like a, a card battler. Right. Crypto Raiders is a is a, you know, RPG kind of game. But I think it I would love for it to be us. But someone out there is going to crack the code and make a new a new type of game, a new type of game model that works really well with the blockchain, but is also something that like just gets people excited because it's new. Like, I remember the first time I logged into RimWorld, I was like, this is just fascinating right like the excitement of when you find a new game mode because it's so rare the first time i played a battle royale you know what i mean the first time i played world of warcraft there's just that electric feeling that really takes things off so that's one of our goals you know definitely on a multi-year horizon is like to try to be innovators in the gaming space not just innovators in the blockchain gaming space building on the shoulders of traditional game studios Matt, do you have any any thoughts on like five years of tokenomics on crypto raiders I think to Nick's point, what's going to be fun is that by taking this studio, multiple different game modes, different game styles and whatnot approach, we get to run a lot of experiments. And the next five years, like I, I already think this year is going to be insane for crypto gaming. I think we're starting to see the early signs of it. We've got Axie Origins kind of coming back out. We've got Step In. We've got Genopets. We've got Crypto Raiders, obviously. We've got Krabata. We've got all of these things kind of like starting to get a little bit more shine on them. And a lot of these projects started last year during the NFT bull run, but building a game takes a little bit more time than launching another 10K profile picture project. So we're just starting to see some of this stuff coming online. And it's already getting to the point where in, in my day, I go for a walk and I use up my step in energy and I do some dungeon runs 
and I, you know, can play Fancy Bird and do some daily quests there. And I think what we're going to see is people starting to build a portfolio of play and earn games that they play because pretty much all of them necessarily cap your daily play time. And that's going to be something that'll be interesting to figure out long-term. Like how do you build a play and earn game that doesn't need to cap your activity, right? Because it kind of has to right now for economic controls, but you know, eventually somebody will figure that out, but it probably won't be this year, which means the best way to spend your time will be to have like 10 games that you play and you're making, you know, different amounts of money in each and you like have strategies in them and you like have a group of friends on discord and you all play these different games together and like share ideas. I'm already in a couple of these groups and it's going to be like a really funky year, I think in that sense. And it's going to bring a lot of retail people into crypto too, because I've, I've never seen more interest in crypto than when games get involved where it's like, Oh, I can, go do a fun thing and like make money at the same time. Let's go. This is like, I'm finally going to set up my wallet. I'm finally going to get yeah. on chain. I mean, do you remember the excitement around Wolf game? That was like absolutely yeah. phenomenal to like, just to see there was like, I think it just showed this like pent up demand for something different. And at the end of the day, I mean, it was literally like a cowboy versus, you know, or like, you know, cops versus robbers kind of, kind of staking model. It was very simple, but I think it showed that there's like a lot of pent up demand for just something cool and new that people can do. Yeah. So by taking a studio approach, we get to run a bunch of these experiments and some of them won't work and some of them will. And the cool thing about having these underlying assets that transcend games is we can reuse them in a lot of different places. The Endless Dungeon is already a good example of it. We're using the exact same Raider and Mob assets. We have both a like... RPG PVE environment. And now we also have this like slay the spire progressive dungeon, or it's not dungeon, but progressive battler uh, style game too. And we could do a lot more. I mean, a few people have thrown around the idea of doing a tower defense tower with defense, yeah. assets, which I think is just like a fucking sick idea. You could use mobs basically yep. as the different types of towers and build a TD that way. Like there's just a lot of cool stuff like that, that we can try out. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting that, that you brought up the challenge of like how to let people play more without them being able to just like bot 24 seven and like tank a part of the economy. And I was talking to this game designer who like got me onto this idea of it's called like, like closed loop systems in the economy. So like, for example, with step in after you use your energy, you could walk or run additionally, like as much as you wanted during a day, but you earn a different token and that token can't be tradable and is only like usable for one purchase or one type of thing. Maybe it's like upgrading your shoes or, you know what I'm saying? Like something, but that really got me thinking is like closed loop systems is a way that you can allow people to play 24 seven, especially if they can't trade the reward. It's only usable for like a certain function. I got hip to it because someone showed me a presentation on Diablo two and how like SOJs were kind of like a similar thing where at the end game, people were just farming SOJs nonstop to like upgrade their gears. Now the difference there is you could actually trade those, but really interesting stuff. Hey guys, I want to ask some final questions. Do you have a book that you like to recommend or a favorite of yours? I'll, I'll jump in because I got I got a shorter list, but I really like sci-fi uh, style books. So I love the two body problem. Ender's Game is probably my favorite book of all time. Ender's Shadow, great one too. But another like great one on, on more of the, you know, I like business reading as well. Liar's Poker was a phenomenal one. It talked about the kind of like mortgage market in the 80s and just the insane amount of money that was being made then. And also I'm going to blank on the name, but it's a, it's about the Magellan Fund in, in like Mercer and someone else, but it's called like The Man Who Solved the Market. And it's literally Quant who created an algorithmically trading 
you know, a, a trading algorithm that has generated like 20% plus returns since like 1985. And I mean, they're literally so stupid wealthy that like one of the co-founders pretty much is the reason why Trump got elected in 2016. He like funded the entire campaign and brought in all of these people. So they, they made so much money. They're now like changing world affairs in politics, but it was just phenomenal to read because it took them, like they had so many challenges and they, they failed for like 10 years getting it right. Like they could never have the algorithmic trader beat like the manual system. And people told them that they were just stupid for even trying it. And then they like unlocked it and became like the richest firm of all time. Yeah, man, I, I'm just spending so much time on rereading books like Psychology of Money is just like the one that I'm oh, rereading yeah. again. Morgan Housel, so it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll second Nick's three body problem recommendation. I think you said two body problem, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the prequel coming book. out. Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> no, three body problems. Great. I think finite and infinite games is probably my most recommended or most liked book. That's just like one of those weird ones that makes you just like warps your brain a little bit. It's great. Yeah. Anti-fragile is probably up there too. Right. Yeah. Always with the caveat. Books. Always with the caveat that Nassim is a much better book writer than a tweeter. So true. Nassim Taleb or, or yeah. Yeah. angry on Twitter sometimes. He gets angry. Yeah, it takes her a little confused too. But Bitcoin's a scam. Yeah. I sold it all. Exactly. You guys have a, a story that shaped you and how you approach your work today. Yeah, I mean, I, I two quick great stories. But one is, is that when I was in college, I was just racking up student loans for the first two years because I was out of state. And I don't know if everyone knows this, but you can actually choose how much student loans you want to take out. So I would take out like 7K more than I needed. And I just go buy, I was a stupid 19 year old. I just go buy clothes and, and, you know, buy a better bottle of liquor for the weekend or whatever. And then I eventually one day woke up and realized how much debt I was in two years in. And so going into my like junior year, I took out enough money for like one month's rent. And I literally for two or three months, like overdrafted consistently, was late on rent consistently, just went absolutely dead broke. But like through the, the pain, like when your back's against the wall, because of that experience, that's when I created my first startup and got me like started on the entrepreneurial journey. So I guess just like the lesson in there is, is that like sometimes when you put yourself in a situation where you're kind of forced to win or lose, you know, that when you put your back against the wall, like great things can happen. And if I hadn't have done that, I probably would have just graduated from college with a ton of student loan debt and be still paying that off to this day. Luckily, because of that startup, I was able to pay off all my student loan debt and like change my trajectory. But sometimes in life, especially when you're younger, if you got wife and you know kids, maybe don't do this. But like if you're 22, you know what I mean? Like you can afford to put your back into the wall or like really take the leap on something um, and see what happens. And, and the other quick story that like shaped I think my ability to do NFTs and all this stuff today is when I was like 12 years old, I became this like crazy trader in Haba Hotel and amassed such a portfolio of furniture in Haba Hotel. I sold it on eBay for $300. Then I took that money and I paid a power leveler to power level my World of Warcraft account, then grinded that account for a year and then sold that account for like $1,000. So back in the first decade of the 2000s and like 2004 to 2008, I was actually making money selling game assets online. So to see it come full circle today, and now it's actually built into the system, I think is, is awesome. But that's why I'm able to, you know, do crazy stuff like, you know, buy a picture of a ape and think it's not the craziest idea of all time. It's funny. I had sort of a, 
I didn't have, it wasn't as dramatic of a, a wall backing story as Nick's, but I did a similar thing in college where I was on the normal like corporate consulting career track where everyone's like, oh, okay, we're going to go to Deloitte, Accenture, Bain, BCG, whatever. And I was on that for the first two years of college. And my sophomore summer did an internship with a management consulting firm. And after I think like two or three weeks on the job, just realized it was one, like a pretty miserable existence. Soul draining. Yeah. Very soul draining. And also like not really intellectually stimulating or challenging at all. No offense to the management consultants. Unless you think making 20 page PowerPoints every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I figured out that I could show up like early before other people were in and just work super hard for an hour and a half and get the whole day of work done. And then just spent the entire rest of the day, like reading books about entrepreneurship and like business and productivity and all of that stuff. And, um, and then just like releasing my work throughout the day to the teams they thought it was taking me all day. And I was like, okay, I cannot go into this. This is fucking miserable. And so came back junior year and was like, all right, I'm, I basically set the rule. Like I will not take a job. Like I have to figure this out by the time I graduate. And Love so that. I had like a goal on the whiteboard for how much, you know, revenue per month I needed to make and just started like trying shit and like started a startup and that didn't work. And then got into content marketing and like did a course thing with a friend and like graduated. And literally like the week I graduated, we launched uh, the first like product that actually did super well and brought in a bunch of revenue. And I was like, Oh shit, I could actually like go do this now. Like it, it worked. And that was like, you know, super reaffirming to be able to just go on and, you know, do other entrepreneurial, self-employed type stuff since then. Uh, and then the the other relevant story is I remember I I must have been in elementary. No, it, it was Warcraft three era. So maybe I was late, like early middle school, late elementary, late, early yeah. middle school. Something yeah, that's like that. when I started playing that. Yeah, and you know I was so into it, and I'd been so into RuneScape and all this stuff, and I like drafted up an idea for a video game like literally on, I think like a legal pad or whatever. And I showed it to somebody and their first response was basically like, oh, you can't build a video game. Like, don't you see how many people it takes? Like, you can't just go make one. And then I was just like super crushed by it and like threw the pad away and like, you know, went on and was like, oh, I guess I can't like make a video game. But now- Look at you now. Here we are. Yeah. That person probably games. works for a management consulting firm. That's probably why <laughs> probably. they told you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. Amazing stories, guys. That's the final question. Like if people want to check out Crypto Raiders, like follow you guys, Twitter is probably the right place, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm Speculator Art on, on Twitter, Nat's Nat Eliason on Twitter. Yeah. Perfect. Hey, amazing guys. This is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Play some crypto raiders with us. Join our discord. It's, it's awesome in there. Good. Good stuff. Hey, hey guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a really special episode for sure, but yeah, have a good day and speak to you soon. Thank you. Yeah, you thanks too. for having us. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you move on, please remember to follow or subscribe to our show so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is live. See you next week. Bye-bye.